Hello, and welcome to the American Association for Respiratory Care's Industry Insights, where we talk with industry leaders in respiratory care and get a sneak peek into how they're working to improve the quality of care and the respiratory care profession. I'm Doug Lair, Chief Operating Officer at the AARC, and will serve as your host. Since 1947, the AARC has been leading the effort to advance the respiratory care profession and promote high-quality, cost-effective, patient-centric respiratory care. The respiratory care profession is ever-growing and evolving thanks in part to industry leaders. Their innovative developments help improve patient care and patient outcomes. Joining us today is Joe Army, President and CEO of Vapotherm, and Mike Marcus, Vice President and General Manager of Vapotherm's newest business unit, HGE Digital Health. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and welcome to AARC's Industry Insights Podcast. Joe, welcome to the show. Doug, thanks very much for having us. We're excited to be here. And likewise to you, Mike. So, Joe, we're going to start off with you. I think most of our listeners uh, have a great understanding of your company, but uh, they may not know the background. And and I, I'm sure they would love to learn a little bit more about what makes your your company tick, the the mission, the vision, the values, and, and your business model. So uh, I know that you've got an interesting story as to how the company started. So let's kick it over to you and let you answer that. You bet. Well, thank you again. And we're very excited to be here today. It means a lot to us, Bill, tell our story. So Bill Nyland founded this company in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was technology that he found at a thoroughbred racetrack in the state of Maryland. Bill's a serial entrepreneur and has built some pretty cool companies out of cool technologies. But first time I ever heard of one coming out of a thoroughbred racetrack, the idea was to be able to deliver very high volumes of oxygen to uh, a patient that's undergoing respiratory distress. And in order to do that, you've got to be able to create optimized humidification and you've got to be able to bring it up to temperature. So we're able to do that. Bill invented the entire category. It's now the category is high flow nasal cannula. He then went on to refine it and constructed the precision flow system, which actually delivers high velocity therapy. So the velocity of our gas is dramatically higher which is what allows us to ventilate patients uh, as well as oxygenate them. So that's where the foundation of the business came from. Uh, I joined a company in 2012. It was uh, 50 people and, you know, six or so million in revenue and a very early stage, a lot of growing pains, a lot of things of that nature. But a couple of things we did, and it's, you know, most good ideas that we have is not things that were original to us. It's things that other companies did that we thought was really cool and that we adopted for our own. One of the things that we adopted is something that I did at my last company, and it's develop a set of principles to run our organization by. I, I have never met a set of rules that I can't bend, twist, mutilate, but not break. Okay. And the trick though is to build your business not around rules, but around a set of principles. And Really, if everybody in the organization makes their decisions based on those principles, you can never have anybody make a bad decision, which is two things is really good. One, it means you could push the decision-making right down to the bedside. And as our VP of Medical Affairs, Dr. Mike McQueen, taught us, whoever is closest to the patient wins, right? Whoever, 
whoever has that best information because they have proximity to that patient, that's who wins the argument. That's whose decision we're going to go with. And that's so we built that. So in order to build those principles, I got everybody together in a big room in a local high school and said, okay, people, we are going to build the set of values that we're going to run our company by. And we wrote them. And we all wrote them together. And it was not just, oh, let's just write them and be done with them. It was multiple iterations of this thing. And then we had to build it into everything that we do as a company. So we call them our guiding principles. There, there are six of them. Everything that we do is built into them, whether it be our compensation, our review processes, our culture, our patient of the year celebrations, everything we do is tied to those six values. So that's, that's how we do it. It's very much of a, a meritocracy. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of... Uh, of a lot of titles. I don't like, uh, you know, if you look around here, there's not a single office in the place. We all just sit in desks out on the floor because information exchange is the key, right? We all spend a lot of time in the field and spend a lot of time working with respiratory therapists and watching them do their job and figuring out how to help them do it better. That, that's great to hear. I can feel your passion. I think our, our listeners probably do as well. And perhaps after this uh, podcast, I might anticipate a slew of, of job applicants coming in because I think many people, that's the type of company they want to work for. Joe, one more question before we move on to Mike. Vapotherm just recently acquired HGE Digital Health. And before we get over to Mike to talk about HGE. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the rationale for why Vapotherm made that acquisition. Uh, you bet. This goes all the way back to how I got into medical technology in the first place. My mother got diagnosed with end-stage lung cancer, and uh, she was given six months to live. And long story short, there was a NIH clinical trial being run back in the late 90s, and son of a gun, if my mom didn't participate in that protocol, she lived for another 18 years. But that got me to quit my job, and I was too old, and we had two babies already, and I was you know, working to pay the bills, and Kim's raising our family. And so I couldn't go to medical school, so I'm like, well, I could probably go build better devices and get them into this clinician's hands, and that's how I got into med tech. I got to Vapotherm. My mother then at that point was receding a bit, and she ended up dying in her living room from COPD and end-stage lung cancer, like I said, 18, 19 years later. But she died on a precision plug. And we have a big family, and we were all taking turns putting morphine under my mother's tongue, you know, with a hospice care. She said, there's no way in hell she's going to go to a hospital and die in an ICU with a mask on her face. And so we were all doing that. And you could see, you could see the fear in their eyes when they're experiencing dyspnea. And that morphine is not for them. It's for us, right? So I went and put a precision flow in her living room. And uh, it was truly remarkable, you know, what it did for that dyspnea. It just took it all away. It was the end of the morphine. So I've been, since that day, I've been working on, I'm bringing this technology into the home. You know, we're in over a thousand of the top uh, emergency departments in the United States now and around the world. And now we're going to bring this technology into the home. So long, lo and behold, we're working on the home thing. And Mike Marcus and, and his partner and wife, Heather, have been building this company based on technology that Jerry Kreiner developed down at, uh, down at Temple. And it is all aimed at COPD patients, and it's truly remarkable technology. So I saw three things in this technology. I'm like, we have to do this. COPD patients are not a box of chocolates to deal with. You know, they are, it can be very difficult. They're not going to listen. They're not going to do what you tell them. So I was really surprised to see 
that at the end of the first year of using Mike's technology, 85% of them were still reporting their symptoms every week. So that told me two things. One, it was easy to do. And two, the patients saw value for themselves in it. Otherwise, COPD patients, they're not doing it. The second thing that I saw was a 40% reduction in all-cause hospitalization utilization. And that's like, wow, are you kidding me? So their quality of life is better. They're able to stay at home and we're going to be spending less money on them. And the third reason, we, we love we love risk sharing in our company, right? We, we built an arrangement with, uh, we've done it in over 100 hospitals in the United States where we have a performance guarantee on our high velocity therapy in the emergency department. We've treated over 30,000 patients. We've had less than two handfuls of returns under that performance guarantee. And as far as I know, we're the only respiratory company that ever even thought about doing that. So I want to bring that into the home. And son of a gun, if Mike and Heather didn't have a shared savings agreement with one of the biggest blue crosses in the country already signed for reducing the total cost of treating these patients, but at the same time, improving their quality of life. So when I saw that, that was the third thing, Doug. I'm like, you know what? what? This is made to go together. This is like peanut butter and jelly is what Mike Marcus says. We're going to go put these things together and we're going to make it happen. Wow. That's all I've got to say about that. Wow. So, so Mike, let's jump over to you. Mike, you are the vice president and general manager of the newest Vapotherm business unit, HGE Digital Health. I'll ask you the same question. What, what were the origins of the company? How did it get started? And what's your business model? So Joe mentioned it. So uh, I met Jerry Kreiner uh, in his office in 2008. Uh and if and folks don't know, Jerry uh, Jerry Kreiner is chief of pulmonology at Temple Health. It's in North Philadelphia, serves primarily a Medicaid uh, population, so tough demographic. And he and Jerry was seeing the highest uh, complexity patients in, in his practice. And uh, he told me the story about how he received a five million dollar grant from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to look for ways to provide better care to patients outside the four walls of the hospital. And you think about this, and back in 2008, before digital health was really emerging, uh, here was a doctor, a very good one at that, who was talking about when he would see his patients, uh, he would either see them you know, in his office visit or he'd see them in the emergency department or in the ICU floor. And in between all those events, uh, these patients would have difficulty breathing every day. And the only resources that they really had uh, were limited, to say the least. So his idea was a very simple one. He took the old Palm Pilot device, if you remember that classic device, and he created a novel symptom scoring index. So I can imagine just uh, Dr. Kreiner sitting there thinking, hey, here's this new handheld device. What can I do to provide better care? And so he took that and he created a, a symptom index that providers and respiratory therapists, when they're interviewing a patient, they're always asking, you know, what's your breathlessness? What's sputum quantity, color consistency, minor symptoms, et cetera. But what Dr. Kreiner did was incredibly novel, was he took those symptoms in a standard of care environment. He created a, a unique proprietary algorithm that would baseline COPD patients for what their typical symptoms are. And again, think about a fingerprint. COPD patients have a different symptom profile. And the idea is what's typical for this patient and then look for an escalation of symptom symptoms so that you can provide an appropriate, quick therapeutic response and do all this outside the four walls of the hospital remotely. And that was his idea. So he did a two-year prospective randomized trial between 2006 and 2008. And 
patients in the intervention group would record their symptoms. The software would baseline for what their typical symptoms are. And then after the, after the patients were baseline, they would do a check-in. And for the first time ever, uh, and I would say in the history of the world, uh, that patient received feedback. And that feedback was your symptoms are consistent with your typical symptoms or baseline symptoms, or you've either had a mild, moderate, or a significant escalation of your symptoms. And if you think about most patients with advanced lung disease, they're like Joe was talking about his mom, you know, as they progress through their disease, there's huge uncertainty of whether today is different than yesterday or last week. And should I call the doctor? Should I go to the hospital? And so for the first time ever, these patients were receiving feedback using a software application and an algorithm. But then here was the other thing that was really cool about what Dr. Kreiner did. For those patients that received feedback from this technology that said, you've had an escalation of symptoms, they knew in the intervention group that they were going to receive a call from a clinical team from Temple Hospital and provide same-day feedback. And that feedback was consistent with what that patient would experience in an outpatient or ED setting. So if it was a mild change in symptom, they received feedback on their bronchodilators. If it was moderate or significant, it was prednisone antibiotics or a combination of both. And the data would show that these interventions were taking place days in advance, typically four four to five days in advance of where that patient would recognize whether or not they're having an escalation. Those in the standard of care group did the same thing, but they were told to call their primary care physician. And what ended up happening is there was a significant delay in them receiving feedback on their symptoms. So the, the study, you know, groundbreaking first of its kind in the world, uh, not surprisingly done by Dr. Kreiner, was that uh, there was a 38% reduction in moderate and significant events in the intervention versus the standard of care group. And then he also found over a two-year period less breathlessness, better peak flow, and lower overall symptom burden in the intervention versus the standard of care group. And then to Joe's point, which was quite extraordinary, was that over a long period of time, these patients were highly engaged uh, and would do their check-in. So they're asked to take their maintenance medication in the morning and then do a check-in and it would get scored. And they, the compliance rate was around 82% over this long period of time. Actually, in high compliance rate, even in the standard of care group. Reported the results back to the Commonwealth, received additional funding, and replicated these results. And HGE spun out of the university. And we spent uh, six years between 2006 and 2000, 2012 and 2018 replicating these results in primary care settings across the country and, and Europe. And then uh, we are quite fortunate to... Uh, meet Mr. Uh, Mr. Army and Vapotherm and really look at ways in which we could put these technologies together. And quite frankly, it is peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> so, Mike, that you said that uh, Dr. Kreiner conducted some research with this. Uh, can you share where that's been published? Has it been published? It has. So uh, there's a list of all the publications, including the prospective randomized trial. Uh, for folks listening in, you can go to www.hgehealth.com and we list all of the publications and all the research that's been done over the last 16 years. Perfect. So, uh, Mike, before I jump back to Joe, I do have a question for you. You said that this is a, a digitized software application. Is it, a, is it an app that you put on your phone? How, how do the patients engage with it? Uh, great question. So we found that uh, if you look back at all the data that's been published, Patient engagement consistently stays around 80% plus or minus five over long periods of time. And the reason um, is for a couple of things, three things we think. One, we keep it incredibly simple. So what that means is access to the technology. If a patient has a, a smartphone, they can download an app, iOS or Android. If they uh, 
they can't see or they're blind, we have an IVR system that they can use. We also have a call-in service. We just make it super simple. So they have a computer, they can access it through their computer. So access to the software is made simple uh, across platforms for the patient. So we keep it simple. That keeps patient engagement. And then from a service standpoint, from a technology standpoint, we do have a contact center with health assistants and nurses that importantly stay in contact with these patients seven days a week, 365 days a year. So Joe, let's go back to you. I know that that while there will be some immediate gains through the acquisition of HGE, I'm going to guess that you're really looking to the future on how it's going to transform care and help the company. Can you talk about what what your plans are for the future with HGE? Well, I can tell you that there would have been no no joining of these two companies together if Mike and Heather didn't want to be part of what we were going to go build going forward, right? I mean, it just, I know the power of the entrepreneur. And I know Mike Marcus is about as smart as they come. In New England, we call him wicked smart, right? He can see the future and he can really see how to take these unique technologies, high velocity therapy, which has the ability to treat hypercapnic and hypoxic patients, taking this remote patient monitoring tool with these individualized patient baselines. And there's a third piece of technology that's going to come into play. We've developed a closed loop oxygenation tool that links into both Medtronic's Massimo te- or Medtronic's Nelcor technology and Massimo's Rainbow Set technology. It's cleared and approved outside the United States, and it allows us to hold a patient within a targeted SpO2 range. This technology, we've now got it cleared for an IDE in the United States. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. We're going to kick the door down. We're going to bring this technology to the U.S. You put these three pieces of technology together, you connect it all into the electronic medical record, and then you build a set of safety protocols into this. And I'm telling you, we're going to change everything about the way we treat these respiratory distress, complex lung disease patients in the home. COVID has speeded this thing up. I mean, this whole COVID thing was a nightmare in the last year anyway. And I, and I don't know how my people got through it, but they did. But what it did do is it's dramatically accelerated that recognition that these patients should be treated more and more in the home. And it's finally like the government's figuring this out and they're starting to pay the, the providers, the, the RTs, the hospitals, the doctors to be able to do that, right? So that we're moving to a, a, a care model that's based on keeping people healthy, not just doing stuff to them, right? I think that these are major waves of change that we see coming. And, you know, we've always done this. It's like, it's not where it's like Wayne Gretzky says, right? It's not what a puck is. It's where it's going to be. Well, we know where it's going to be. And we are all screaming into the corners to go dig that puck out of there. And it's the combination of all three of these. Now, we have a massive footprint in emergency departments in the United States today. Because of us, believe it or not, we got literally 500 of the top 2,000 EDs in the U.S. And we now have respiratory therapists stationed in those EDs. Okay, I want you to think about that change of care pathway because before we started doing this, they weren't there. Now they are. Now we take those patients, and as soon as they come in in undifferentiated respiratory distress, we have one technology we put them on, whether they're hypercapnic, hypoxic, and we're going to solve this problem. As long as they can breathe, we're good. Now we're going to take those patients, stabilize them in the hospital, and then send them home on the remote patient monitoring gear, we think we're gonna be able to help reduce 30-day readmissions like right out of the blocks, which is gonna be good because that's a never event for all these hospitals. Then we're gonna be able to help the pulmonologists and the GPs 
keep an eye on these COPD patients and help them improve their quality of life, reduce their hospitalizations. The hospitals don't want these patients in there because they're not profitable to begin with. They're very complicated patients with very unpredictable results. And at the end of the day, the payers are going to like it because we're going to actually use less dollars in the total system. Better quality of life for the patient at the lowest total cost. Everybody's going to win. That's how we're going to do this. So it's all of these technologies stitching together, working with the acute care centers in that emergency department that we've done such a great job at building. And we're going to keep doing that, too. It's like rinse and repeat. That's it. So that's a perfect segue to a question that I'd like to ask, Mike. And that that question, you had mentioned 30-day readmissions. And with the Readmission Reduction Act and COPD being critical with that, it's, it's all about cost avoidance. Mike, how can that your platform be utilized by the respiratory therapist? Because my understanding, based on how you've described it up to this point, that it's a patient-facing application. But is this uh, a product that respiratory therapists could use? Yeah, it absolutely is, Doug. I think one of the differences uh, that we always like to to talk about and how we different different from a a pure technology or, quote-unquote, a COPD app is – We've got a real service component in which we work hand in glove with providers and respiratory therapists. So as these patients are being stabilized in the hospital, we're working uh, with respiratory therapists, with the pulmonologists, uh, with the doctors in the hospital. And the whole idea is upon discharge and with the discharge instructions, this technology is introduced to patients. And as patients uh, leave the hospital and go home, we can begin uh, monitoring their symptoms, and with our health assistants and nurses, provide support to respiratory therapists in which, for the first time ever, as those patients leave and transition to home, uh, they have visibility day in and day out uh, on the stability of those patients. And then when those patients get into trouble post-discharge, we coordinate care back with providers to avoid uh, readmission and provide better quality of life for these patients. So we're very proud of the technology, but uh, and one of the things that attracted us to uh, working with Joe and Vapotherm is we're really on the front lines with providers and with these patients. Again, um, day in and day out, we're uh, it's 365 days a year. We're we're working directly with these patients and triaging these patients. They we get to know them, they get to know us, and we make sure we have really good relationships with their care team. You know, in the hospital to make sure that they're uh, they're taken care of and that they give uh, great quality of care. And one of the things that I like to think uh, we're we're trying to do is provide just unbelievable access to care on a daily basis. I, I think patients they should they shouldn't have to wait for good quality care, right? They can't wait two days, right? They can't wait three days. They need things right now, not even today. You know, so we. We talk about same-day care. It should be instantaneous care. That's what we're trying to go for is make sure that they get immediate feedback and appropriate care, and that's what we're going to do. So, Mike, I will ask you the same question I asked Joe about the future. If you were to look into your magic eight ball five years from now, ten years from now, what would you say HGE looks like? For these complex respiratory patients, uh, they need the same type of access that they have in a hospital, same type of provider interactions, therapeutics. So in, in the future, I think that we're thinking about, and as Joe mentioned, uh, we want to take uh, all these therapies that they only have access to in a, in a, in a hospital, and we want to make sure it's in the home. We want to make sure that uh, these patients have visibility to the stability of their overall uh, care pathway, and when they need good therapy and they need the appropriate therapy, that 
they're getting the same type of equivalency in the home that they potentially would have uh, in a hospital setting. So that's the future, and that's what we're going to go for. So before I let you go, I do have the question that that many people are probably asking, what does HGE stand for? Is there an acronym for it? It happens to be the first three letters of Dr. Kreiner's family. So Gerard, his wife, and uh, his, his father. Excellent. Fat, that's fascinating. I, I would not have thought of that, but that that's quite interesting. So, Joe, I would like to go back to you and shift gears just a bit. We'll pivot because I know that the last year plus has been devastating to the world, specifically to the healthcare community and our patients. And I know that you, you said that, I don't know, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but I think you said the company and your staff have been through hell and back during COVID-19. I know that there were a lot of concerns initially as COVID-19 started to become more prevalent about aerosol generating procedures. And I know that high velocity oxygen therapy is is kind of your bread and butter. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has in, impacted uh, your brand and modified the way that you do business? So I will tell you that we shared the same concerns that you described, right? We were watching this thing from the first, second week of January. And uh, my, my chief commercial officer lives in Paris, and so and he had lived through the SARS pandemic at Respironics, and, and he was like, we got to watch out for this. So we started bumping forward the throttles on uh, production even then, literally the second week of January, which was kind of crazy. And we kept bumping it up, and we started working with a Chinese ambassador in the U.S. We're looking at this thing, and we're bumping it up and bumping it up. So by the time it starts to hit Europe, we had now put the throttles to the firewall. And we we're trying to figure out how to how to ramp this thing even faster. So, you know, there's 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 three things that we run our business around, right? First is optionality. We've got to be able to have a lot of different places to be able to go. The second is flexibility. What do the customers need, and how are we going to get it to them now? And the last one is speed, right? That's the only way a company of our size can compete against these great big companies, you know. So we we did that in that. It was kind of funny, like the week before COVID really smacked the shores in the U.S. We our maximum theoretical capacity that we could build in the way of our systems was a hundred a week. That was it. And it was theoretical because we never actually done it before. <laughs> and within three weeks, we added up to 600 a week and ramping from there. But, you know, that fear that we had before we even started all that, we were w- watching what has happened in northern Italy. And, you know, we all saw what a giant mess that turned out to be. And it was not because they didn't have enough ventilators. It was because they intubated everybody and his cousin and all of the caregivers ended up getting COVID-19, and we ran out of caregivers, not equipment. It was people. It was the caregivers, the clinicians. And so we got really nervous about the possibility of what would happen with, uh, with particle generation. Now, you know, the Chinese Thoracic Society, the Australian Thoracic Society, the news, everybody who would had anything to do with this thing said, you know, high velocity, high flow is the way to go. But we still didn't know. So there's this guy who's almost as smart as Mike Marcus here, who uh, in our shop, who had built a computational fluid dynamic modeling uh, platform and had modeled this out and concluded if you put a mask over that patient, it's going to be no problem. You're going to knock that that uh, risk of transmission out. It's going to be almost as good as an N95. But, you know, we didn't know. So we went down. Liberty University, of all places, has the best uh, aerosol program and computational fluid dynamic as well as big, giant supercomputers. And Brian Walsh, who, who I think you know, worked with us on this project. And man, oh, man, over the course of a weekend, and, 
I have to say hats off to Liberty University because every time I've ever done anything with the university on a research basis, it's three months of dealing with the lawyers before you ever get a single thing signed, let alone anything done. And we got that whole deal done in an afternoon. Signed, sealed, delivered. Our guys threw their stuff in a truck and were down in, in Virginia that next day, literally. So Chest published that work three days later because the, the Brian systems all bore out what we were saying. Chest published that data three days later. And then the American College of Emergency Physicians took it and ran with it, built it into a set of protocols, spread it all over the place. And then SCCM published their guidelines and we sent it to NIH, we sent it to CDC. Finally, everybody got a, got the picture. And then we started shipping product like crazy in the United States. So I, I think that the work that we did on that front was really good. Now, there was another thing. There was a very creative guy, and you probably know him. He's in, uh, he's in the New York hospitals, Felix. And uh, he called me up with an idea in the middle of this. I'm like, Felix, man, you understand, like, the poop is hitting the fan like no one's business, and I'm trying to hold my head above water, not now. So at the end of, like, May, early June, the thing is receding, and he and, he, he and I get it back on the phone. He tells me his idea, and I'm like, done. We're going to do this. He had an idea for creating a scavenger mask and plugging it into wall suction. Right. So we said, okay, we're going to take your idea, but we're going to give all the gross profit back to AARC's uh, foundation, back to the ASA, American College Emergency Physicians Foundation, and back to the Emergency Nurse Foundation for anyone who's lost a loved one into COVID 19 that were caring for these patients. And it would add another level of safety to this. Do you know that those things sold like hotcakes? And it was crazy because, no, it worked. It was, oh, my God, what did we do with it? And then I had this thing ginned up. It was another mask, and we put the Felix on it, right? Because we actually named it after him. We called it the Felix scavenger kit. <laughs> that worked incredibly well. And now we get to give, you know, big giant checks to uh, to those foundations, to those people. So the creativity that RT community showed, the uh, emergency physician community, the emergency nurse community. And we're just really, really thankful that we've got to work with you all throughout this thing and that find a way to get you what you need. You know, it's pretty cool. And we're not the ones that went through it. You guys were. But I will tell you that my whole field team, they were in the field, in your hospitals, putting gear together and standing there and getting COVID-19 with you. We told them, do not go into the patient care areas. You stay on the loading dock, you teach and train down there. But my people do not listen when it comes to that stuff. They did what they had to do to take care of the patients. So very, very proud of them all. Really something to see. Wow, what a story. And and you are correct. Brian Walsh and Felix Cusid are, are two of the superstars in our profession for sure. So uh, hats off to them for helping you. So we are up against the half hour, but I will ask each of you one more question. And it's going to be the same question. And it is... Is there a question that I did not ask that I should have? And we'll start. Uh, let's start with you first, Mike. Uh, I think maybe one of the things that uh, I think is important to know is, you know, for respiratory therapists and other providers, this idea that once you start having visibility to, to patients, instead of, you know, the idea of, boy, you're going to be looking at uh, and monitoring patients, you know, five, 10,000 at a time. And when you first say that, it sounds like a lot of work, but in fact, it's easier for everybody and work becomes more efficient, more manageable and more rewarding. And I think uh, that's an important thing that I think is always important to highlight is everyone's job gets easier and actually more rewarding when you have uh, vi visibility into uh, patients, you know, inside and outside the hospital. So 
I always like to highlight that. Thanks. I appreciate that. And and real quick, Mike, we will make sure that we get this in the show notes. I know that you already mentioned it once. Can you tell people how to find find your website? Absolutely. It's www.hgehealth.com. All right. And, and Joe, I will ask you the same question. Was there a question that I did not ask that I should have? You did a really good job with all your questions, and I like them a lot. I have, uh, I have just one last thing, point that I want to make. So... I don't know what it was, maybe two weeks ago, AARC leadership reached out to me and asked me to write a letter to my congressman and my senator and all this, because there's a piece of legislation sitting up on the Hill now that would expand the abilities of respiratory therapists to engage in telehealth and this home thing. And you know that I jumped on that in a New York minute, and I went not to one, but I went to all three of them. Right. And then I also sent one to my governor just for good measure because I figured he could be able to start to make some noise about that, too. So I don't think you have a question. But what I would say is I would love every respiratory therapist out there to do the same thing I did. Take that five minutes. Reach out to your congressman. Reach out to your senator. This is the future of this profession. This whole thing. There's going to be a big chunk of this that moves into the home. We need respiratory therapists to be able to take that role, a leadership role in this, to be able to work this telehealth component, to work on this digital stuff. It's really important. And if you don't write that letter, they're not going to hear your voice. So do me a favor, write that letter. And the last thing I would like to say is I would just like to point out that the finest football team in the NFL is the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you'd like, Mike and I could close this with singing the Philadelphia Eagles fight song, Fly, Eagles, Fly. (laughs) That might horrify all your listeners, so we might just skip that part. So if you go to the AARC website and then click to our advocacy section and then take action, literally, as Joe said, it is less than five minutes for you to write to your uh, congressional leaders. It allows for an interactive ability to write the letter based on what you're passionate about and the reasons for for you writing. It could not be easier. And uh, Joe, thank you very much for that. Not that it probably needs to go without being said, but I will ask you the same question. If people want to find out more about Vapotherm, they go to www.vapotherm.com. And we will make sure that we put that in the show notes. Gentlemen, thank you so much for participating on AARC Industry Insights today. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the American Association for Respiratory Care's Industry Insights. Be sure to check out our show notes page for links to our featured guests, as well as other podcast episodes. And be the first to know when our next episode airs by subscribing to our podcast. Until next time, my friends, keep on supporting the respiratory therapy profession. 